You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. Silence is powerful. Silence also is painful. I thought about just standing up here and just looking at you for a minute without saying anything. Should have been uh, hard for you, even harder for me. Then I remember this is a beautiful chaos Sunday when we don't have any childcare and it would just be impossible for us to sit in here for silence with all of our precious children here with us. But silence is powerful, but silence also can be painful. In Luke chapter one, this text that we've just read, God has been giving his people the silent treatment for 400 years. 400 long years. God's people have been groaning and longing and lamenting, longing to hear his voice, longing for his intervention, longing for the promised Messiah, longing for the promised Messiah of Genesis 3 that's gonna come and crush the head of God's enemies, longing for the promised Messiah of Genesis 12 that's gonna come and be a blessing to all the families of the earth longing for the Messiah of 2 Samuel 7 that we just began our time together singing about. David's greater son who's going to come and sit on his throne forever. Longing for the Messiah of Isaiah 7 and 9, this one who's gonna be born of a virgin, who the government's gonna be on his shoulders, who will be Emmanuel God with us, of whose rule and reign there will be no end. The promised Messiah of Isaiah 53 that will come and be a suffering servant for his people to die in the place of his people, taking their sins upon himself. But even though the people of God have been longing for this Messiah, again, for 400 long years, they've heard nothing from Yahweh, nothing from the Lord. Silence also has a way of building anticipation for those who want to hear. So today begins, as we've already spoken of, Advent. Advent simply means coming or visitation. And this is a time of the year in the church calendar where we remember, we celebrate the Lord's first coming, that Jesus did come, Emmanuel God with us did come to be among us, but we also look forward to his second coming, to his second advent, and we long and groan for that day. But here in our text, the Lord breaks his streak of silence by showing up and speaking in a surprising way. So a few months ago, we preached the intro to Luke's gospel, the first four verses of chapter one. And then we skipped over to chapter three and preached through chapter three through five the last few months. But now we're coming back for Luke one and two. Again, this, these chapters here, these first couple of chapters of Luke, And we're going to look at these different reactions and responses to the coming Messiah from these couple chapters. Tonight, we will see the reaction and responses from Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth that we just read about. So look again at verse five of chapter one with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
So verse five gives us some context for this story. He said, this is in the days of King Herod. King Herod was a Jewish king, but he was a puppet king. He was put into his place as king by the Romans. And he really did what the Romans wanted him to do. The Jews at this point in history are back in their land, back in Israel, but they're being ruled in their own land, being occupied by the Romans in their own homeland. So this would be like you getting to live in your house, but someone else living in your house with you, dictating everything that you can do in your own home. It's another form of oppression. In some ways, it's even harder, right? Because you're on your own home soil. But here, in this context, where the people of God are groaning and longing for deliverance, where God has been silent for 400 years, we meet Two unexpected but key characters, again, named Zechariah and Elizabeth, both from priestly family lines we find out in verse five in Israel. We find out more about them in verses six and seven. Look at those again with me. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So we find out here that Both Zechariah and Elizabeth were blameless before God, but barren. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not sinless. They, like all of us, sinned, but they were blameless. They lived their lives in a way that was above reproach. They'd been forgiven of their sins. They'd been counted as righteous because they had put their hope in the promised Messiah to come. Through faith, they were saved the way that we are by putting their faith in the Messiah. And this led them to honor the Lord by keeping his commandments. This couple was righteous but childless. And here, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, we are meant to feel the brokenness of barrenness. In verse 25, Elizabeth calls her barrenness a reproach among her people. I'm sure this couple got married, excited about starting a family together, but years went by with no baby. People probably began to whisper behind their backs, maybe even saying well-meaning but harmful things to their faces. People probably began to question as the years went along whether Zachariah and Elizabeth were really righteous. Did they really have God's favor if they were childless? I'm sure they even began to question these things themselves. I think for all of us, we are often tempted to believe we only have the Lord's favor if we have blessings that we can hold right now in our hands. But hear me, brothers and sisters, that is not true. If you're in Christ through faith, if you've been united Jesus through faith, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessings beyond your wildest dreams are yours in Jesus, eternally yours. It cannot be taken away from you. But in this life, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed and prayed for a baby, but the Lord had been silent. So I ask you, how do you respond to God's silence? 
How do you respond when the Lord does not answer your prayers? Zechariah and Elizabeth responded by serving the Lord with broken hearts and empty hands. And hear me, if we only serve the Lord when we get what we want from him, it's not actually the Lord we're serving but ourselves. Here, this righteous couple was willing to serve the Lord with broken hearts and empty hands, even though he had not answered their prayers. Again, we are supposed to feel the suffering and sadness, the barrenness of verse seven. Again, this is setting the table for Advent. It's, I think, a picture and parable of what's going on within Israel at this point. The people of God are suffering and sad under Roman oppression. They're longing and groaning as a barren woman for the promised Messiah to come and to turn their sorrow into joy. The Lord has been silent for a long time, but he's about to show up again in a surprising way. Look at verse eight. Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So two times a year, different divisions of the priests were called on to serve in the temple. There's a bunch of priests within Israel in this time. But something special happens for old Zechariah here. The Lord providentially calls the lot to fall on him for him to be chosen. Proverb tells us that the lot is cast in the lap, but the decision is in the hands of the Lord. So now Zechariah, this old priest, has a once in a lifetime privilege to actually go into the presence of the Lord in the most holy place and offer incense during sacrifice. See what happens here, look at verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So Zechariah is just doing his thing in the temple. Sure, again, he's already nervous because he's got this once in a lifetime opportunity, something he's been preparing for his whole life. But then something unexpected happens. An angel, a messenger from the Lord shows up the text tells us that fear fell upon him. Zechariah's response is consistent with the rest of Scripture. When people encounter an angelic being, here he covers his eyes in fear. People fear for their lives. Angels are not cute and cuddly little things, even though they're often portrayed as that. They're warriors, God's messengers that sometimes show up with swords in the Scriptures. But look at the angel's first words to Zechariah in verse 13. It says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. He's telling him, you're not in trouble. The Lord is on your side. The Lord is for you. For your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. So again, remember what's happening here. The Lord is breaking his 400 years of silence by telling the most unlikely of men that he will have a son, that his old barren wife will have a baby. But notice what the angel says. He says, your prayer has been heard, Zechariah. 
think it seems pretty clear here that Zacharias, he's offering incense. As he's here in this once of a lifetime kind of opportunity offering incense in the holy place. Zechariah is not here praying that the Lord would make him a dad. But I think it's also clear this is a prayer that he prayed for a long time, but he maybe hasn't prayed this prayer in a long time. Maybe he gave up praying that prayer a long time ago. Pastor Isaac, I remember hearing him say this in the context of evangelism, but it's also true of prayer. Pastor Isaac said, sometimes seeds you've sown will sprout after you are in the ground. Sometimes seeds you've sown will sprout after you are in the ground. We plant and we water through evangelism, but also through prayer, but it's the Lord who causes the increase. And he does this in his own time. Like Mark 4, Jesus tells this parable, the, the farmer who works all day but then goes to sleep at night and that is when the crop and harvest comes. The Lord causes it in his time. The angel shows up and says, the Lord has heard your prayer, Zechariah. Remember back to Exodus chapter three, back in the Old Testament, Israel's in slavery, been in slavery for 400 years. The Lord has been silent But the Lord shows up to Moses in this burning bush and says, I've heard the prayers of my people. Our Lord is patient, which is good news for us. We also need to trust that our Lord's timing is perfect. We may not understand his timing, but we as his people know that we can trust him. You may not understand his silence, but know that he hears you. He promises that he hears the prayers of his people, that he will work in a way that's for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. The angel tells Zechariah that his prayers have been heard and the Lord is about to answer them in ways that are beyond his comprehension. Look at verse 14. And you will hear joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. One of the things that we need to remember or to know is that the way that the Old Testament ends, the way the Hebrew scriptures, at least our English ordering ends, the last thing that's happened is 400 years before in Malachi 4, this is what the scripture says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's the last thing the people of God hear 400 years before. But the Lord breaks again his silent streak by just picking up where he left off 400 years ago. By sending this prophet, the one like Elijah, to prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children 
It's exactly what the Lord is about to do through Zechariah's son. But look at Zechariah's response in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The response of this righteous man is unbelief. Unbelief. One commentator said, Godly people can be in the holiest places, carrying out the holiest acts of worship, and still not believe God's word. Unbelief is that sneaky. Zechariah wants proof rather than a promise. Here he wants to walk by sight and not by faith. This is not the first time the Lord has chosen to work in this way. Again, Zechariah should remember Father Abraham. This is not a time to laugh or to question, but a time to believe that nothing is impossible with God. It's so easy for us to put the circumstances of our life. When we step back, these things are small things compared with the Lord. But sometimes we can hold these small circumstances so close to us that they block our vision of God. It's possible for something really small to block our vision of something much bigger if we hold that small thing too closely. Zachariah is letting his age get in the way of seeing and believing the Lord's word through the Lord's messenger here. Age is just a number, especially with the Lord. Look at verse 19. And the Lord answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their times. Gabriel, the angel is like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I work for? You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. And what is the sign here? The Lord has broken his silence here with Zechariah, 400 years of silence. But the sign is also silence. Silence is a powerful thing. Silence can also be a painful thing. After 400 years, the time of the Lord's silence is over. But now there will be a little more silence for Zechariah. I didn't catch this until studying this text a couple years ago. But it seems for Zechariah, it was actually total silence. Not just that he couldn't speak, but he also couldn't hear. We see down in verse 62 that people also had to sign to Zechariah for him to understand. They couldn't just speak to him, they had to sign to him for him to understand. So the last thing that Zechariah hears before silence is the word of the Lord through the angel. So he's got a lot of time now to ponder what the Lord has told him. I met my wife uh, as a camp counselor back in summer 2007. That's where all these kids came from. We met that summer, and one of the things I try to do was kind of selfish. Uh, I, looking back, one of the things I would do is read to all my campers uh, right before it was time for lights out and would say, hey, let's let God's word be the last word tonight. So just be silent for the rest of the night. Let me read the Bible to you and we'll let God's word be the last time tonight. Trying to make my job a little easier. But one of the things here for Zechariah is God's word is the last word for him. 
This is the last word that he hears for nine months now. He's heard the word of the Lord. The Lord is gracious, even through discipline. He still gives him the gift despite his unbelief. In verse 21, the camera in the scene pans to outside the temple. Look at verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So everybody outside the temple pretty quickly picks up that something big had happened while Zechariah was in there. He came out silent and signaling. They realized that he had seen a vision. The scene ends with the service ending and Zechariah going home in silence. But it's a good thing that Zechariah didn't need words to communicate to Elizabeth what needed to happen. Verse 24 says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. I guess she picked up his signs of what needed to happen. The Lord in his miraculous mercy opens up her womb of this old barren woman And now she has life growing in a place that was considered humanly dead. Now joy coming in the place that had caused her so much pain. Verse 25, Elizabeth's first words says, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Her reproach and shame has turned into rejoicing and celebration. The Lord's provision here. Skip down to verse 57. We're gonna come back to the middle section with Mary next week and see her reaction response to the Messiah. Look at the end of chapter one, starting verse 57. We see nine months have passed. The word of the Lord has already come to pass. Many are rejoicing because of this child. It says, now the time for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. They go from rejoicing in verse 58 to some drama at the circumcision ceremony in verse 59. I don't know if you remember back when we went through the book of Ruth. In that book, at the end as well, the people around want to play a role in the naming of the child. And here, these people want to name this new child, this new son, Junior. They want to name him after his dad. But in verse 60, Elizabeth says no, that his name will be John. The discussion should have been over when Elizabeth, the mother, speaks up and says what his name is, but they start to fight with her about this. They say, nobody in your family is named John. But then they call in, bring in old Zachariah to settle the dispute. Again, in verse 62, they make signs to Zechariah, telling him what's going on, and he wants them to bring him a tablet, and he writes on the tablet that his name is John, and that settles it. Verse 64 tells us, as soon as he wrote this, his nine months of silence was broken. His tongue was loosed. Zechariah the priest turns into Zechariah the prophet as the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he prophesies. Zechariah gives this beautiful prophecy, this beautiful picture of the gospel. The gospel just simply means the good news of God's redeeming work for his people. 
And here what we see is that God's redeeming work of his people is like a beautiful multifaceted diamond. I think often if you grew up in churches like I grew up in, when we think about the gospel, we think about God's legal declaration of us being forgiven and made right with God. This act of justification of us being declared righteous before God, which that is the good news of the gospel, but it is, there is more facets to the diamond than that. I think that's one of the things we see in Zechariah's words here. We see in verse 68, the gospel is God visiting and staying with his people. We see in verse 71, the gospel is God saving his people from their enemies, from all their haters. Verse 72 and 73, we see the gospel is God fulfilling his ancient promises to his people. Verse 75, the gospel is God delivering his people so that we might serve him without fear. Verse 77, the gospel is his forgiving us of our sins, forgiving all of his people of all their sins. And in verse 79, we see the gospel is God shining his light into our darkness and guiding us into his peace. One of the things we remember during Advent, and maybe all the more fitting as we're meeting in the afternoon and the sun's going down more quickly, it's getting dark earlier, one of the things we remember in this season is that we live in a dark world. Because of sin, there's darkness, there's disorder all around us. But Jesus brings light into the darkness because he's the light of the world. Jesus brings peace into this disorder and chaotic world because he is the prince of peace. The spirit-inspired song that broke Zechariah's silence gives us a vision of how comprehensive God's saving work for us is in Jesus. Jesus is not just Lord over this religious segment of our lives. His lordship and redemptive work is over everything. As Abraham Kuyper famously said, there's not one square inch in all of the cosmos that Jesus doesn't say mine over. It is all his. His redemptive work is cosmic. It encompasses it all. It touches all of our lives. And like we'll see next week with Mary's songs, both of these songs are really a summarization of the Hebrew scriptures of all the Old Testament. But they focus on God's redemption for his people through the Messiah. And only two verses of this, of Zechariah's prophecy, are about his son, are about John, verse 76 or 76 and 77, describing his son, John, as this prophet who is to prepare the way, who's to be the lead blocker before Jesus. Like David's mighty men prepared the way for David's kingship, that's what John's role is. He's to prepare the way before Jesus. John is to serve as a pointer to the Messiah. There's actually some really famous pictures through the history of the church of John. And in many, if not most, of these pictures, John is pictured with his finger out, pointing. There's actually one picture that's entitled The Pointing Finger, where John has this really maybe strangely long-looking pointer finger. But that's John's role. John was there to point, not to himself, but away from himself, to point to the Messiah. That was his job. In a real sense, that's our job as well. 
as the people of the Messiah. One of my favorite segments on ESPN is that you had one job. And brothers and sisters, this is our one job. As our mission statement for our churchmen says, to make Jesus known and make disciples. Acts 1.8, to be his witnesses. Here where he's called us into the ends of the earth. Zechariah's boy, John was not the savior, but he was to make things ready for the savior. His life was defined by his relationship to Jesus. And hear me, brothers and sisters, that is the same is true for us. John's life was defined by his relationship to Jesus and so must ours be. Not only in this life, but also in the life to come. So I asked in the beginning, how do you respond to God's silence? I wanna ask you now, how do you respond to God's salvation? Again, Advent, the season of the year, we set aside this season to celebrate that the Messiah has come, that salvation has come. Thankfully, we are privileged to live on the other side of Jesus' first advent, of his first coming, where he fulfilled all of Zechariah's prophecy and ways beyond Zechariah and all the prophets before him could imagine. In Hebrews chapter one, the author of Hebrews tells us that God is not silent anymore. That before God spoke to the fathers, to the prophets, and many times, in many ways in the past, but these last days he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. And now we're to listen to him through his word. If you wanna hear God's voice, open your Bible and read it out loud. God has spoken to us. He's given us his full and final revelation in his son. Not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John wrote that the word who is God became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is Emmanuel, as we just sang about a few minutes ago. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In a world filled with so much suffering, we do not have to worship a Messiah who's immune to it. He's Emmanuel with us even in our brokenness, even in our silent suffering. So one of the reasons why we can respond to the Lord's word tonight by coming to the Lord's table is because our Messiah has come to us. He has come to save us. We can come to his table and take the bread. Again, remember that Jesus, the word who became flesh, came and had his body broken to the point of death so that he might offer you eternal life. We can come and take the cup and remember that Jesus' blood was shed so he might wash you clean, forgive you of all of your unrighteousness through faith, cleanse you of your unbelief, just as the Lord forgave and cleansed Zachariah of his. Zachariah, again, was looking forward to the Messiah to come. We, again, have the privilege of looking back and seeing all that God has done for us in Jesus. And this table is a reminder of that for us. Paul tells us this table that we come to is something that we celebrate together until the second advent, until our Lord returns again, 
when Jesus returns again, there will be no more silence from God. We will dwell in perfect communion with our God in Jesus' eternal kingdom forever. But the call for us today and every day is to live each day in light of Jesus' first advent and his second advent, to live between the advents, faithfully looking back to what God has already done for us in Jesus, the salvation that has come, and looking forward to the day when all will be made right, when all the brokenness, all the lamenting, the groaning, the silence that we experience now will be done away with forever. Again, brothers and sisters, by the Lord's grace, we're called to live each day in light of that final day. So we pray, Lord, give us grace to do that. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus, our Messiah, has indeed come and that he is coming again. As surely as he came the first time, he is coming again. Father, we thank you that you are not silent, but you have spoken spoken to us through your word, and ultimately and finally, you've spoken to us through your son. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this word tonight. Help us not just to be hearers of it, but give us faith to believe, to be doers of it, to respond in faith and faithfulness to it. Father, I know many of my brothers and sisters, like myself, have had many tears in recent days, lamenting the brokenness of this world longing for the day when sickness and sadness, disease and death will be no more. So Father, we long for that day. We pray with the scriptures, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come and make all things right. But until that day, give us grace to be faithful. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.